And welcome in, everyone, to the Smith and Seidel Show. I'm Jacob Seidel, alongside my good friend Zach Smith, who is on the other side of town, hooked up through his computer. I'm hooked up through mine. We're trying a new recording method today. So we'll see how this goes, Zach. But uh, kind of a boring week in sports upcoming, I should say. A lot of action in the championship series, a lot of big college football games, a lot of big NFL games. But we will start it off with our Today in Sports History fact. And, uh, Zach, I believe you remember the 2007 baseball season fondly. A little bit. A little bit. On this, well, on on the day this comes out, so this is actually on the 21st of October, back in 2007, your Boston Red Sox defeated my Cleveland Indians in the ALCS to move on to the World Series. A little more recent of a fact, it's within this millennium, but it's one that will stand out for both Zach and I, Zach, you being a Red Sox fan, myself being an Indians fan. Hey, it's it's all in good fun, and I mean, it was a fun year back in two thousand and seven. You you look at all these great Red Sox teams recently, most notably back in twenty eighteen, the last time these Sox went to a World Series. It's going to be really interesting to see what both the Red Sox and Indians do this upcoming season. There's a lot of speculation with both teams: are they contenders? Are they sellers? That's really the question with both the Red Sox and I guess to an extent the Cleveland Indians looking at potentially trading Francisco Lindor this offseason. That should be the mood of all Indians fans right there. It really is. And but for other Boston teams, this tends to be their mood. Another one. <laughs> yeah, you can't you can never go wrong with one more ring, one more championship. But it wasn't that case this year. Uh, We'll start off, I guess, with the MLB World Series. Uh, The World Series starts off tonight uh, as we're recording this. Uh, We're recording this on the 20th. So Wednesday is the first game of the World Series. And it's a doozy. We have a heck of a World Series matchup this year. Uh, The L.A. Dodgers are back in again. And uh, now the Tampa Bay Rays are in the World Series this year. So it's going to be really, really fun to watch. Of course, two players have more salary on this Dodgers team, this being Mookie Betts and Clayton Kershaw. The two of them combined create more salary than the entirety of the Tampa Bay Rays. Fun fact. Yeah, which is, it's nice to see these small market teams, especially the Rays, who have been considering a plan to play half their home games in Tampa and half their home games in Montreal, uh, which I find confusing, uh, but I'm the first to say a team should go back to Montreal. This is a big thing for them. I think they have the talent on this roster to pull off the upset over the Dodgers, especially with how historically Clayton Kershaw has... uh, fallen apart in the postseason although the last time he did that really was against the Astros who did cheat you can't deny they didn't cheat Uh, I think they were kind of hoping to get a little bit of a rematch but now a little bit more of a scarier opponent in the Rays yeah go ahead and set the scene for you the Rays will enter into this with a 40 and 20 record in the regular season the Dodgers themselves 43 and 17 
The Rays have announced that Tyler Glass now will start uh, for opening night of the World Series. Blake Snell will start game two. And then Clayton Kershaw for the Dodgers, that left-handed pitcher, will pitch for the Dodgers. These games are being held at Globe Life Field in Texas. Uh, this is the home of the Rangers. And due to COVID, kind of a bubble situation. There will be fans in attendance, but... If, if the indications of these couple of games that we watched for the ALCS and NLCS were anything, we're in for a treat regardless of what team wins and what team plays its heart out tonight. Yeah, and I expect the Rays to uh, come out firing on all cylinders. But we also saw the maybe uh, monkey off the back situation with the Dodgers scoring what was it It was like 10 11 runs in the first inning of their game it, it depends on what game you're talking to the thing with this dodgers team compared to the rays the rays have been relatively consistent whether you look at the yankees series or even in this past series against the astros uh they were relatively consistent with the runs they put up but on the other side with the dodgers is the dodgers started to get hot but they've been a very streaky team. They've either been scoring runs or they haven't been scoring runs. And that's my question for the Dodgers is can they really get these bats going? But they were down three, one at one point to the Braves and ended up pulling it through to a game seven and winning it off of a Cody Bellinger walk off on the other side of it. The Rays were the ones that were up three to one and almost lost that series. So it, regardless of what team you're looking at, you need to be playing your best baseball right now. And if I'm looking at it on paper and based on the past couple of games, the Dodgers, in my opinion, have been playing their best baseball lately. I, I would agree with you on that point. The Dodgers, the Dodgers look now like the Rays looked coming out of the regular season. And that is a scary comparison to make. Both these teams have fantastic pitching. Both these teams have great bats that can score 10 runs in an inning really just out of nowhere. But it's going to come down to who makes less mistakes. The Dodgers, they have been known to have some issues swinging at pitches outside the strike zone. And that's exactly what they're going to get from Glass now in game one. Yeah, and on, on the other side of it, Clayton Kershaw has just been bullied in the postseason in recent years. You look back at the Red Sox in 2018, the Astros last year. Now, yes, you mentioned that the Astros did use some cheating devices, but you you look at a couple of these different series. The Dodgers didn't even make it to the postseason or into the World Series last year. They lost to the Nationals. The Dodgers, the last couple of years they've been in the postseason, whether it be the Astros or the Red Sox being the two teams they've played most recently, you know, they, they've been bullied, mainly Clayton Kershaw. And you always see with the Dodgers, they keep bringing in these high-profile names, most recently being Mookie Betts. But if you look at just pitching-wise, pitching-wise is always your most important place. These games start and end with pitchers, and that's why they get the win or loss stat. Clayton Kershaw needs to be the guy to step up. And I've seen players and uh, Max Kellerman on first take go and and say, Clayton, you need to play well. This this starts and ends with you. 
you can have some of these guys out there, but if Clayton Kershaw's given up five, six runs in the couple of innings he plays, he's not going to be able to stay in games and win them games. And that's what I'm most nervous about for the Dodgers, not the fielding. Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts look fantastic out in center and right field. They look really good. This lineup for the Dodgers is scary. The Rays have the pitching and the lineup. If the Dodgers and Clayton Kershaw can get it together, you will not beat this Dodgers team. And that's what I got to say the Dodgers have to do. We'll see what happens. It's very exciting. I expect you and I will end up watching a few of these games together. Uh, And I'm expecting a seven-game series. I'm expecting both teams to put off their best front. So we'll do it here. I'm, I'm going to make my call, Zach, and then I'll let you make your call. We'll ask our listeners to find us on our Twitter account, and they can put up their call. But I'm going to say this is the year the monkey gets off the back of the Dodgers. They're going to win it four games to three. So I, I want to agree. I want to. Um, as I mentioned, the Dodgers have, in my opinion, the better lineup. You know, you, you're looking at guys like um, Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger. You're looking at all these really fantastic players, Corey Seager, AJ Pollock. And and that's just getting into a couple of these guys. Um, it's, it's a really, really tough lineup. But my question with the Dodgers is and always will be the pitching. Who is your closer? Is your bullpen consistent? Can Clayton Kershaw finally get it going in the postseason? Uh, on the other end of it, you know, the Rays are a new team. They haven't really been to the World Series all that much. They don't have a lot of that postseason experience. That being said, I like what the Rays have done this postseason. They've played the Yankees. They've played the Astros. And as much as you want to say the Astros are cheaters, which they were, The Astros are still a scary team. They've got a good couple of bats. George Springer, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Yuli Gurriel. You know, even if without the cheating, this is still a dangerous team with a dangerous pitching rotation and the Rays were able to stick it out. You know, when I look at teams like the Rays who had the lead, watch it dwindle a little bit, but were able to hold it and stick it out. That shows determination and grit. The Dodgers, though, being down 3-1, coming back to win, that shows a lot of grit, too. I think that you're going to see maybe a game one be the the big decider. But I like what the Rays bring to the table, and who doesn't love a good underdog story? I trust the Rays batting. I trust the Rays pitching rotation more than I trust Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers. And and until Clayton Kershaw can prove me otherwise, I'm going to say Rays, and I'm going to say Rays in six. Okay, so tune in in the next few weeks to see who is right about that. But now we're going to move on to the National Football League, and it was a very interesting week in the NFL, Zach, and we'll start it off with Le'Veon Bell gets cut by the Jets on Thursday of last week, and then he signs with the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's another kind of a scary part for that offense or pardon me he lost Tuesdays when he was cut by the Jets and especially when you look at what this team already has you know Travis Kelsey Tyreek Hill that's not even talking about Clyde Edwards Hilaire 
You know, what are what are they going to do with that backfield? Clyde Edwards Hilaire, of course, being one of the league leaders in rushing yards. He currently ranks second at 505 yards behind Derrick Henry, who's got 588 yards rushing. This is an absolutely stacked team, but I don't know if this is the best move for Bell and for the Chiefs. On Twitter, when I was seeing the reaction to Le'Veon Bell to the Chiefs, um, there was one tweet that stuck out to me that, and it said, relatively speaking, and I quote, this has Kevin Durant vibes written all over it. And what I mean by that, Kevin Durant was with the Thunder, of course, different situation. The Thunder were right there, in my opinion, to go into the finals. Kevin Durant signed with the uh, Golden State Warriors to get a ring, ended up doing really well. Now he's with Brooklyn. Le'Veon Bell wasn't getting to the Super Bowl with the Jets. I don't care what backlash I receive from that, because if you're sitting here telling me that the Jets within the next two to three years with Le'Veon Bell are going to a Super Bowl, I would laugh at you. Le'Veon Bell wasn't winning a ring with the Jets, so I could understand him wanting out, along with the turmoil with Adam Gase, the Jets fully finally committing to the rebuild that they so desperately needed to do. I understand why Le'Veon signed with the Chiefs. I get that. He wants to get the ring. The thing with Le'Veon to the Chiefs, in my opinion, is I don't think he's going to be as happy with the Chiefs as compared to if he had gone to, say, Miami, which I know is the other big suitor. Miami, he would have been the lead back. He would have gotten his touches. But, you know, I don't know if you give him that role over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire right now. Uh, And I would agree with that. We haven't seen Le'Veon Bell this year. We have seen someone out on the field who looks like Le'Veon Bell but hasn't played to the same level. That being said, in the right offense, and I believe Andy Reid's offense is best suited for Le'Veon Bell, even if he's not the number one back, that's a very scary wrinkle to this team. Their only loss coming so far to the Oak, or pardon me, the Las Vegas Raiders, and then you've got They've got a hard schedule ahead. They beat the Ravens, and we'll talk about it a bit more, their comparisons with Pittsburgh. Uh, But when that matchup comes up, you know Le'Veon Bell is going to be playing his best. Yeah, the last time we really saw Le'Veon Bell at his best was 2017 in Pittsburgh, where he went over 1,200 total yards as a running back. You know, Le'Veon Bell, when he was with Pittsburgh, was such a dangerous running back. He's the type of guy who can stutter, stop, find the holes in the backfield and run for another 20 yards. He's the guy who could stiff arm people off of him. He's the type of guy who can go line up as a receiver and play over there. And I think that's where he's going to be best suited with the Chiefs. That being said, um, especially from what we've seen out of Clyde Edwards-Alaire, especially these past couple of games, most notably against the Bills this past week, running over 100 yards at a touchdown called back due to holding. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the rookie out of LSU, looks really, really good. Again, I think Bell should have gone maybe to the Dolphins where he could be more of a lead back. But he, with this move, he has made it very, very clear that he wants to win a Super Bowl and he'd like to do it now. And yeah, I think that is the best place for him if he wants to do that. We'll go from talking about one player who's been in the league to a player in his first Uh, NFL game, and now he'll have his first NFL start. And of course, we're talking about Tua Tungavailoa, who is now going to be starting for the Miami Dolphins. 
Yeah, this news was released earlier today. And again, the day that we're recording this is October 20th. So it'll be out on the 21st. But this news breaking on the 20th that the Dolphins after their bye week, the Dolphins on their bye week seven will be taking Ryan Fitzpatrick, who hasn't played that poorly and will be benching him in favor of Tua Tungavailoa. We saw him get a little bit of action this past week against the Jets after the Dolphins went up 24-0. And now it's officially Tua time in Miami. We won't see him again until week eight when the Dolphins will go and take on the Los Angeles Rams in Miami. And and I guess the, the question is, is Tua ready? I didn't see too much from his game or the snaps he played, but he is an Alabama quarterback. But of the Alabama quarterbacks we've seen in the last decade, I think he is by far the most likely to succeed in the NFL. He's he's not just uh, he doesn't just scramble. He has thrown in the pocket. And especially coming off a knee surgery, you're not going to see him scrambling as much as he used to. I think his arm can develop into one of the better ones that have come out of the draft in recent years. All this being said, I don't think he's ready to start. He's got, he, he's had the injury. I don't want to see that re-aggravated. Fitzpatrick has not been playing horrible, but... I think it is too early and too risky to be starting to a tongue of Iloa right now. If I'm the dolphins, I agree with you hundred percent. The dolphins right now are three and three. They're second in the AFC East. They are positioned to make it into the postseason. And I said this earlier in the year, I think you could silently see Miami sneak in as the seventh seed. Uh, they currently have a better record than the new England Patriots. This is the first time new England's had a losing record since 2002, but I agree with you 100%. I do not think that the Miami Dolphins should be starting Tua. And I want to preface this, and I'm I'm very adamant about this, and I know I've talked to you, Jacob, about this a lot. I am not a fan of teams starting rookie quarterbacks. I am not a fan of it. There's a couple of reasons why, mainly because as a rookie, I think that you should get groomed into a system. I think that you should be placed into a situation where you can learn the NFL a little bit because the, the NFL is a lot different than college. It's a lot different. You look at some of these guys lately who did get a couple of years to sit behind and learn a little bit and then get to play. Aaron Rodgers did that when he was underneath Brett Favre. Now Jordan Love is doing that with Aaron Rodgers. Tom Brady got to sit a little bit. Ben Roethlisberger got to sit a little bit. Patrick Mahomes sat a year behind Alex Smith before getting an opportunity to start in the NFL. Look where all these guys are at. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger all going to the Hall of Fame. Patrick Mahomes looks to be going there. I am not a fan of the rookie quarterback, but at the same time, I understand that you know teams want to see the guy right away. Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen. Those three guys started their rookie seasons. Josh Allen panned out. Josh Rosen is somewhere doing who knows what. And then Sam Darnold is likely getting traded when the Jets inevitably go 0-16 and draft Trevor Lawrence. I do not see rookie quarterbacks doing all that well. Joe Burrow is having a decent season. Justin Herbert, he sat for a little bit and you said he was good enough, kind of like what happened with Baker Mayfield. 
I'm not a fan of the rookie quarterback, especially when the starter is playing as well as Ryan Fitzpatrick is. Herbert and Tua are in two very different situations. As Tyrod Taylor got hurt, Justin Herbert looks really, really good. And hopefully that he he can continue to look good. Tua, and you mentioned it with the injury, he came off of a hip injury, a knee injury. He, I think he's torn both of his ACLs. I think. I wouldn't want to re-aggravate it. I would want to turn to this guy who you believe is your franchise quarterback and say, we're giving you this year to learn and develop. We're going to look into the draft to get you more offensive weapons. We're going to look into a better offensive line that we've started to rebuild. We're going to get you a running back. We're going to do this, this, and this, and make sure you're ready for next year. I agree. I think it is way too early for Tua to start, but Tua has shown enough to his coaches to deserve the start. So congratulations to you, Tua. You're going to make your start. I don't think he's ready for it, but I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he does. And me too. I do want to see him succeed. I want to see almost every rookie quarterback uh, succeed in the league. As much as you'd love to see every rookie quarterback do well, it's not always likely. No, it's not. Joe Burrow looks pretty good so far. Justin Herbert looks really good so far. Hopefully Tua can follow the trend, but you know, best of luck to him. Best of luck yeah. to him. And we'll go from there down to the three undefeated teams remaining in the NFL being the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Tennessee Titans, and the Seattle Seahawks. I had to think on that last one for a second there. And of these three teams, I think you can argue the biggest surprise is the Titans. Of course, I agree with that. They might be getting a little help missing that game against the Steelers because of COVID. But Ryan uh, Ryan Tannehill's done a good job with that team down in Nashville, and now they're looking to make a run. They lead the uh, AFC South. Uh, they just got an overtime win to prove they're for real against the uh, Houston Texans. And uh, they just don't look like they can be stopped so far. Well, the only thing is, and I, I still sit here, and as much as everybody oodles about Ryan Tannehill, I still sit here and I don't trust Ryan Tannehill yet. Um, And I know what you're thinking. Zach, what is what does Tannehill have to do to do well for you and to say that he's doing well? And that's throw the ball against a great defense. Now, he he gets to rely on probably one of the best running backs in the NFL and Derrick Henry. He gets to rely on that. When you have a running back who alone can put up over 200 rushing yards a game, you're not you're not beating that team. That's a team that can run down your throat, control the clock. That being said, you know, Ryan Tannehill has had a couple of scary, you know, a couple of scary games already this year. He almost lost to the Houston Texans this past week. You mentioned in overtime where quite literally the Titans scored with six seconds left to just force it into overtime. They played the Bills, and the Bills have a really, really solid defense, but they rolled over the Bills. But the Broncos, you beat by two. The Jacksonville Jaguars, you beat by three. The Vikings, you beat by one. This Titans team looks good. 
on paper, but this point, this points against 126 points has been scored against this defense. And, you know, I, I, I want to see more from the Tennessee Titans. I'm very surprised they're five and zero right now, but given what teams they've played so far, I'm not surprised just as the Steelers had to prove themselves with a quote quality win. You can argue the bills was their quality win, but I'd like to see what Tennessee can do against a team that makes you throw the ball. That's what I'm really excited to see this week as the Titans take on the Steelers. But I, I need to see a little bit more from Tannehill before I can consider this Titans team a Super Bowl favorite. And I'm right there with you. I think the biggest weakness in this Texans team, uh, pardon me, Titans team is uh, going to be the fact that they have to play the AFC North, which is, even after the Browns' loss on Sunday, still the most competitive division in football. They have Pittsburgh, they have Baltimore, and they'll have Cleveland. And you know Cleveland is still upset about that uh, that opening loss to uh, Tennessee last year. And you have to imagine what could happen, especially if the Browns are back healthy. And you left a team out of there that I think could surprise people. And that's the Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals has not looked bad at all this year. And I mean, yeah, you're not sitting at the best record of what you could be if you're Cincinnati. You've got one win under Joe Burrow. You've got a tie on there. You're one four and one on the year, but you almost beat a couple of really good teams. So I sit there and I don't think you could sleep on the Bengals. So the the Titans have a lot moving forward and it starts with the big battle at home versus the Steelers this week. We go from undefeated teams to winless teams. One remains after the giants and Falcons both get a win. Jacob, can you guess what team is still winless? Oh, I believe they're on the East Coast. Hmm. I believe their colors are white and green. I'm having a hard time but they're, placing it. They're not in it. Philadelphia. Hmm. They must be the New York Jets. In case you couldn't tell, this is a lot of sarcasm. <laughs> a lot of sarcasm. The Jets. We are not the first people to blast them. <laughs> um, we are not going to be the last people to blast them. Um, time to tank, boys. Time to tank. <laughs> Trade away every valuable asset to this team. Sam Darnold, get out of get out of New York. CJ Mosley, you need to run, dude. Jamal Adams got out. Le'Veon Bell got out. You need to get out, guys. Anybody who is worth anything needs to go. And the New York Jets need to start from scratch. Fire the GM, fire the coach, fire all the coordinators, everybody. Get them out of New York. Yeah, there's not much more you can say. This uh, this Jets team rivals the uh, inability to do anything that a uh, certain Hugh Jackson did with the Cleveland Browns. That being said, I think they will get a win this season. It's a lot harder to go 0-16 in the NFL than people realize. They have a tough schedule ahead of them. They have to go to Buffalo. No, they play at home against Buffalo. They have to go to the Chiefs, have to play the Patriots, 
play the Chargers at SoFi Stadium, the Dolphins, the Raiders, the Seahawks, the Rams, the Browns, and the Patriots. I do not see any way this Jets team gets a win. Not a chance. It's going to be hard, but they'll squeak one out. They'll squeak one out. They just look so bad. They might go down as the worst team in NFL history. Like Adam Gase needs to go. Yeah, past the 016 Browns, past the 016 Lions. And uh, we'll go back to Nashville now. As the Titans getting away with <laughs> putting a lot of people at risk. No forfeit of picks or suspensions. And supposed fines for Titans players during the COVID-19 outbreak at their facility. You know, if if it weren't for Rob Manford and the blunder that he had handling the sign stealing scandal, I'd say this is the worst possible thing a GM could do. You're in the middle of a global outbreak and you set protocols in place. And Jacob, don't let me run away with this because I've already ranted about this once. The Titans need to get hit with something. Hit with something. They got the Steelers game pushed back. They got an extra couple of weeks to prepare for the Bills. And at the same time, there is physical evidence proving that the Titans were out practicing when they were told not to. And the fact that you're telling me that they're only giving them a fine is a slap on the wrist. It's the same thing with the Astros. It's the same thing with the Astros. It's, it's a lot different because the Astros cheated their way to a World Series. This is just a mishandling of an outbreak. But, you know... That being said, you've got to find some way to enforce this or else what's what's stopping teams from getting COVID and saying, like, say hypothetically that, you know, Joe Mixon with Cincinnati gets COVID-19. What's stopping him from going over to Seattle and partying it up with Russell Wilson and getting the Seattle Seahawks sick and getting everybody else sick? There's nothing stopping it. There's nothing stopping it. And that's all this shows. And I'm. To say that I'm a little disappointed in the league is a little bit of an understatement. I think that there should have maybe been either a huge fine thrown at it or maybe even just taking away like a sixth or a, a seventh round pick. I like just something to say if you disobey the rules, there is a punishment for it. I I don't know. I don't know what I want to see, but I think that you need to put out some sort of harsh penalty for it. So this fine should probably be something significant or substantial. But I, I just think that some form of punishment needs to be given. Yeah. There, there's no excuse for what they did. They put the entire NFL at risk of getting shut down because they had to go practice. We'll move on to big games from week six. Baltimore and Philadelphia. Philadelphia made it interesting near the end. Yeah, being down... <laughs> little bit at halftime they were down 17 nothing at the half against the baltimore ravens this is in philadelphia where philadelphia was allowed to have fans for i think the first time this season you're down 17 nothing at half and the ravens like they've been doing all season cannot shut a team out 30 to 28 is the score of the, the final of that game after the eagles just came a two-point conversion short of tying the game. The Eagles also lose Miles Sanders for a few weeks, as well as Zach Ertz for the next couple of weeks. 
Yeah, not what you want to see if you're Baltimore, but I think it's going to show that teams are starting to figure out Lamar Jackson. Although the Eagles played really well against the Steelers the week before, but we'll go to Pittsburgh now in a game that should have been a lot closer than it was, and I did lose a bet to Zach, so now I have to wear a Steelers jersey for when they play in Cleveland. But... um. I'm not making excuses for the Browns. They did not play the way they needed to. Their defense started off really well, but you can tell that they don't have anybody playing linebacker. They don't have any extra safeties. Redwine and um, Ward played really well back there. They just couldn't get anything going. And going to the offensive side of the ball, it got to about the third quarter. And you could tell Baker Mayfield should not have played. I think the rib, the bruised ribs were bigger than he was wanting to admit. And I think it showed in his performance. This is not Baker Mayfield going away. This is, he needs to get healthy if this Browns team has a chance to succeed. And, and let me say this much to, to Browns fans. First and foremost, Browns fans, the Browns are four and two. The, the brakes can be pumped a little bit. Stephen A. Smith already arguing that, you know, Odell Beckham should demand a trade or Jarvis Landry should get out of Cleveland. No, it's, it's, it's a team that's a little injured. They don't, as you mentioned, Jacob, you don't really have safeties right now. Grant Delpit's out for the season. Your safeties are just banged up. Um, your offensive line, little banged up. Wyatt Teller was not playing in that game. And then Nick Chubb obviously wasn't playing. And of course, Baker Mayfield playing with some bruised ribs. This Cleveland team is not bad. They're, they're not a bad team. You're still four and two. There's nothing to be disappointed about right now. You just ran into a really, really good defense. A really good defense. This is the best rushing defense in the NFL. Granted, Cleveland came in as the best rushing offense in the NFL, but Pittsburgh's defense this year has made teams one-dimensional. They have made you throw the ball. And when you're getting sacked five, six times a game and you're constantly under pressure, and on top of that, you're playing injured, i.e. Baker Mayfield, you're not going to succeed. Yeah. You know, I still think Nick Chubb would have been a difference maker if he hadn't gotten hurt a few weeks ago. But as much as he's not going to admit it, this is not the Baker Mayfield we've come to know this season. He was playing injured. He was playing more injured than he was letting on. And I think a healthy Baker Mayfield gives the Browns a chance to stay in that game. But he was also working with Kareem Hunt, who's had a, stra- had a strain. OBJ was sick most of the week, only practiced one day. Landry has had some issues uh, with muscles and all that kind of stuff. You're playing with a mash unit right now. And let me tell you, it's a good thing you have Cincinnati next week because your defense can't handle another explosive quarterback with this many injuries. Not saying Joe Burrow can't make something happen, but the Browns front four versus the offensive line for the 
Bengals. We've already seen this show. We know how it's going to happen again. I still think the Browns are going to finish with a winning record, which all Browns fans should take as a win, because when was the last time we saw the Browns have a winning record? I'll give you a hint. It was 2007. They were 10-6 and six and missed the playoffs. I, I'm going to throw, again, I'm throwing this to the Browns right now. I, I'm a Steelers fan. I'm not jumping on this too much. Roethlisberger and the Steelers offense were able to chew clock and the defense put them on their back. That's, that's what happens when on the first pass attempt of the game, you throw a pick six. You know, the Steelers defense is really good. The Steelers offense is really good and they controlled the clock. The Browns have nothing to panic on right now. Again, little banged up, but again, you ran into a team that is gunning for a Super Bowl right now. And, you know, you, you get the Bengals to bounce back a little bit, give Baker Mayfield some time to heal up. Um, I'm again, I'm sitting here saying that the, the Browns just ran into a little bit of a reality check. I'm, I'm going to use that word. Um, and, and I've said it going into the year before I even sit here and say that Browns are going to be in the Super Bowl or anything. Give me a winning record. Browns get a winning record and we move from there. That being said, I still think the Browns make the postseason this year. I don't think the Browns are that bad of a team, um, but a 38-7 victory to the Steelers, the Browns need to show up against good teams. The two teams they've lost to, the Ravens and the Steelers, they need to be able to show up against the good teams. You're right, and they did show up. Their defense has shown up when it had to all season, except for two games. That's something they need to see change. And that when you start getting players like Greedy Williams back, that's going to help. But the Browns need to go out and trade for a linebacker. We'll go from there down to Tampa Bay as the Bucks hosted the Packers. And this looked like it was going to be all Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay in the first quarter. And then... 38 unanswered points by Tom Brady in this Buccaneers offense. So Tampa Bay and Green Bay, typically a matchup that we see and maybe like a, uh, a later in the game, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers got to play a lot of fun, but I mean, 10, nothing in the first quarter is awesome by Aaron Rodgers and this Packers offense, but 38 unanswered points. Come on, Green Bay. This is this is a team that was undefeated going into this game. This is a team that's supposed to be the cream of the crop in the NFC. This is mean Aaron Rodgers, and you're shut down by the Tampa Bay right now. You you got to be better. Two interceptions in this game. No, yeah, not what you want to see. Not what you want to see at all. But maybe the Bucks are better than we thought they were going to be. A lot of like they didn't look like they were going to come out very strong, but now starting to turn that corner. Yeah, I I think Tampa Bay is going to be a surprisingly good team this year. I mean, four and two on the year. You're right up there with the Saints. Carolina hasn't played all that poorly, and Tom Brady's done exactly what it is you've asked him to do so far this season. Um, and that's go out and win football games. His defense is really good. Levante David and Devin White are two of the best linebackers in the NFL. Ronald Jones is coming out as an emerging star. Your receivers are all coming back. I mean, hopefully Scotty Miller, Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin can stay on the field and stay healthy. And now if you're getting Gronk involved, Gronk was the leading receiver in this game. Five catches, 78 yards, and a touchdown. If Rob Gronkowski is getting involved in this offense, 
Oh man, Tampa Bay is hard to beat. Yeah, yeah, they it certainly looks that way. Uh, we'll go now. Uh, we'll go to. I lost it. Uh, Houston in Nashville playing the Titans. We mentioned this one went to overtime. Houston kind of starting to look decent since letting go of Bill O'Brien. The Titans kind of showed some vulnerability that or the other night. Which which um, Tennessee team are we going to see next week? That's really the question about it. You know, Tennessee has not had the best of defenses. And, I mean, it, it doesn't help when ball control becomes an issue. But, I mean, 212 yards for Derrick Henry, 300 yards for Ryan Tannehill, and 113 yards for Ferkser, who is their uh, leading receiver from this game. You go up against a dynamic quarterback like Deshaun Watson, he's going to be able to put pressure on your defense. Deshaun Watson went 28 for 37, 335 with four touchdowns. Duke Johnson, 57 yards and a touchdown on 19 carries. And Will Fuller, six catches, 103 yards and a touchdown. The Titans went up 14-0. And then the Texans came back. The Texans dominated the third quarter. The way that you beat this Tennessee team is you force Tennessee to create to uh, make mistakes. Two turnovers by this Tennessee Titans team is what allowed Houston to stay in this game. Tennessee, you can run the ball down the throat of Houston. Houston can't stop the run this year. But at the same time, you're giving them the ball back in good situations. Two turnovers. You got to clean that up if you're Tennessee and you hope to be a postseason contender. From there, we'll go on to Week 7, Steelers and Titans. We've kind of talked about this one already. Zach, I think you and I will both agree this game could be interesting or it could be very lopsided. I would probably agree with that. And and this is going up against the league leader in, in rushing yards and Derrick Henry against the league's best rushing defense. And I mentioned it against uh, the Cleveland Steelers game. Um, the, the key to this game for both teams... And, and this is what I'm going to say for the Titans. The key to winning this game is Ryan Tannehill. And can he throw the ball? The Steelers, as I mentioned, have not allowed a 100 yard rusher this year. They played running backs such as Saquon Barkley, Melvin Gordon, Miles Sanders, Kareem Hunt and David Johnson, I believe, are the five running backs they've played. The only one who has gotten over 80 yards was Miles Sanders, and that was off of one run. You take that away, and the Steelers are allowing under, like, a right around three yards a carry. They're not allowing much. The Steelers' defense is going to do everything in their power to make sure that Derrick Henry does not get much. Now, against the best running backs in the NFL, they'll do what they can to find holes, and they'll make something out of it. But if the Titans want to win this game against the Steelers defense that's shutting down run games, Ryan Tannehill has to be able to throw the ball. And against the secondary, that's starting to wake up. Yeah, this could be a very scary game for the Titans. I don't think they're going to get past the Steelers. I think it's going to be a 10-point game in favor of Pittsburgh. The, the, the key for me for the the Pittsburgh Steelers is kind of the same thing. Ben Roethlisberger hasn't had to throw much this year. He's not amongst the league leaders in passing yards. 
but he's been efficient with the ball. 11 touchdowns to one interception. And that's really, really solid. The last time Ben Roethlisberger played a full season back in 2018, he led the league in passing yards over 5,000 yards. This year, he doesn't have to do that. The receivers making plays, the running back room has had a 100 yard rusher in all but one game. And that was against Philly. This team looks good. This team looks complete. The Steelers need to control the ball. It's a lot like how you beat the Kansas City Chiefs or when Tom Brady was in his prime with the Buccaneers or with the uh, Patriots, excuse me. You keep him off the field. You keep these studs off the field and you win these games. If the Pittsburgh Steelers offense can control the ball and control the clock, the Steelers will win this game. I agree with you. And, and I don't think this has anything to do with my bias of, as a Steelers fan or anything like that, but I, I give it to the Steelers by 10, just around 10. Yep. We'll go from there. The Battle of Ohio Part 2. The Browns heading down to Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati to face Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Here's the thing. I think the Browns are going to win this again. And I say that because the offensive line has been abysmal for the Cincinnati Bengals. But as a Browns fan, I don't want to see Baker Mayfield play. Unless it gets to a competitive ball game, I want Case Keenum in there. Give Baker a week to let those ribs heal. Because as much as I hate to say it, he has bigger fish to fry. The Bengals led 21 over the Colts. The Browns are a better all-around team than Indianapolis. This is going to be a closer... It's going to be... It's going to look closer than it was. It's going to be the Browns by about a 10-15 to 15 point margin. See, I, I, I don't know if I see that big of a margin in this game. And, and the reason being is this Bengals offense has looked mighty, mighty competitive recently. And I mentioned this earlier in the show. Uh, th again, th this is going to be a Brown scene that's going to come out and be very, very upset. This is a team that is being blasted all week. It's Tuesday as we record this. This is a team that's going to be blasted all week long. 38-7 to against the Steelers, you lost. Your offense looked really bad. Your defense got torched. Miles Garrett got held to one sack. This is a guy who is second in the league in sacks at seven sacks. Miles Garrett's going to be upset. The Browns coaching staff is going to be upset. The Browns team is going to be upset. And that's what I'm afraid of for this Bengals team. Now, that being said, the jungle is always rocking down in Cincinnati. That's going to be a tough, tough place to be. Um, I, I do think the Browns will be able to bounce back. But especially after what I saw last time when Joe Burrow was in Cleveland, he was slinging the rock. If anything, I say it's a three-point game. I think it could go either way, especially being a Bengals team that led 21-0 over the Colts, which even without Darius Leonard is still a pretty formidable defense. But you got to be able to close out games. So in that respect, I give it to Cleveland. But I'm going to say this. If Joe Burrow throws for three touchdowns, Cincinnati wins this game. That being said, Cleveland wins by three. <laughs> Tampa Bay and Vegas 
This is going to be a fun matchup. Vegas, the only team to beat Kansas City so far this season. Tampa Bay coming off a statement win at home against Green Bay. I don't know about you, but I like Tom Brady and the Buccaneers in this one, especially with Gronk starting to go again. I think this is going to be one of the most dangerous combos in the NFL going on. I probably would have to agree just a little bit. This is a heck of a game for Sunday night. I think Steelers Titan should be the Sunday night game just because of the five and over the five and oh, but this is going to be a fun game too. Tom Brady is starting to really fit in to this Tampa Bay Buccaneers system. And, you know, Vegas has looked pretty good themselves. Derek Carr having a pretty decent season. Um, that being said, Tampa Bay is without Vita Vea. He's a big, big man um, on that D line. Um, Josh Jacobs is no pushover for Vegas. Um, I kind of like Vegas in this matchup, especially at home Sunday night. How about them Raiders? I'm giving it to the Raiders by seven. Gutsy pick. I like it. Bears in L.A. to play the Rams. And uh, the Bears haven't looked the same since that hot start. The Rams haven't looked the same all season. This is a very interesting matchup. This is a game that if either team wins, it could get their team back on track. That being said, you gotta. I got to go with the Bears and their defense. Khalil Max had himself a decent year, and I think that's what's going to keep him in this game with a Rams team that have, has struggled to close out leads. The Bears are coming into this game 5-1. and one. They lost one game this year. This is a pretty, pretty decent Bears team. You know, Nick, Nick Foles has been the difference for this offense. Um, but the offense is still kind of, for, for a lack of better words, lackluster. Uh, Tariq Cohen was that pop on that offense, and, but he's out for the year. Alshon, Allen Robinson needs to get better. 474 yards and two touchdowns for him. Five and one entering into this game. Five and one. The Rams, on the other hand, Jared Goff, 1,500 yards, 10 touchdowns. The running game has been decent without Todd Gurley. I won't say it's been awesome, but it's been decent. But my my X factor is Khalil Mack versus Aaron Donald. And I get it that they're not going to physically be going up against each other, Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack, both on their own defenses. But this is, this is a tough, tough task for both teams to stop either of these guys. The Rams are at home. The Rams are coming off of a loss to the 49ers. I got to sit here and say, I kind of like the Rams in this game. And the only reason being is I think the Rams have the better defense over since or over the Chicago Bears. Um, I don't trust Nick Foles to push this game for a little bit. And I think that between Aaron Donald and the rest of this front seven for LA that they can shut down the run and force Nick Foles to throw the ball to Jalen Ramsey a couple of times. I give this game to the LA Rams at home at SoFi stadium, prime time Monday night. I give it to them by five. We'll go to a Thursday night matchup that I think we're both dreading the giants and the Eagles. In Philadelphia. 
The Eagles, I think, are starting to find themselves a little bit. The Giants can't do anything. I don't want to talk too much about this because this is by far a not a marquee matchup. It's going to be Eagles by probably 15 or 20. Well, I'm going to disagree with you again just a little bit. The Giants defense has not been bad. They have not been bad. Um, they, they've been holding teams to relatively few points. The Giants coming off of a win against, yes, the Washington football team, but the Washington football team has a really good front seven, a really good front seven. And I think that's a lot of confidence towards this Giants offensive line. Uh, the Giants have room to grow. They're without Saquon Barkley. Sterling Shepard will not be playing this game. This is Daniel Jones and Evan Ingram and Darius Slayton against the world right now. On the other side of the ball is Carson Wentz. This Philadelphia Eagles team has played three really good teams back to back to back. San Francisco, they won. Pittsburgh, they kept close. And Baltimore, they kept within two. Especially being down 17-0. This Eagles team, where they're going to fall short, is on offense. And this Philadelphia Eagles team, as we've seen over the past few years, can't stay healthy. Cannot stay healthy. Zach Ertz and Miles Sanders are down. They're already probably going to be without Deshaun Jackson. They're just hurt. This is a hurt offense. Yet, we're seeing Carson Wentz and Travis Fulgham come out of nowhere. This Eagles O-line is still pretty decent, even without a lot of their starters not being in the game. I, I don't give it to the Eagles by much. I think the Eagles win, and especially on a rivalry game. This is an NFC East rivalry game. This is the Giants and the Eagles. I give it to the Eagles by a touchdown, but maybe maybe 10 points out for more than that, maybe a 7 to 10 point game out of the Eagles, and that's just because you see more in the rivalry games. And especially in a division like the NFC East where you're going to see all four teams being contention for the division until like week 14, any team can run away with this. I think this is a little bit bigger game than we're, than you and I are making it. That being said, the NFC East is the worst division in football. I give it to the Philadelphia Eagles by maybe 10. Maybe 10? Okay. Maybe 10. I like that one, but now we're going to move on to college football, something we've been having issues getting to the last few weeks. But the Big Ten returns this weekend in the marquee matchup. Michigan and Minnesota, the battle for the Little Brown Jug. Michigan coming in as the number 18 in the top 25 and Minnesota's number 21. That's where they're ranked. This is going to be a fun, fun game. Um, the golden Gophers coming off of probably one of their better seasons in recent memory and Michigan still trying to find a way over the hump. Um, Michigan usually finds a way to win against these types of teams, but with Minnesota at home to open the season, I think you could see something fun. Um, I like Michigan in this game and you're never going to hear, you're not going to, you're not going to hear me say much that I like Michigan because I think Michigan is kind of an overhyped team. But that being said, I kind of like what Michigan brings to the table this year. And especially at this matchup, this is big 10 opening weekend. I like Michigan. I'm going to give it to Michigan. I'm going to say two scores, two scores. You see, I'm going to go the other way with it. I think Minnesota is still on the outside looking in, in the Big Ten, especially in the West, 
but they're getting there. They're getting there. I think this is a show-us game for Michigan, and I don't think they have much to show. That's fair. Okay, we'll go there. We'll talk about... Uh, we'll come back to Big Ten in just a second. Uh, but big games in the top 25, and we've seen some shifting around in the top 25. As your number one team is Clemson, number two, Alabama, number three, Notre Dame, number four, Georgia, Ohio State at five, Oklahoma State at six, A&M at seven, Penn State at eight, and probably the biggest shocker to a lot of people is the Cincinnati Bearcats at nine. And Florida rounding it out at ten. I'll, we'll we'll get to ten. Yeah, we'll get to ten. Um, I gotta say the <laughs> there, there's a couple of teams on here. I'm surprised are this high up, and are surprised that they're that low. Um, I think that Cincinnati deserves to be up a little higher. Um, maybe at eight. Maybe at eight. Um, I, I cannot argue with Clemson and Bama. I cannot argue that. Um, Ohio State sitting at five right now. If they get a win over the Cornhuskers this weekend, I think you see them pop up into that top three conversation. I think that depending on how well Georgia looks, I think you could see Ohio State jump up to maybe number two, maybe one, depending on how dominantly that this this Ohio State team looks. Um, I like where Oklahoma State's sitting. I think that Oklahoma State could be a, a surprise team in the college football playoff. Um, they are the last really good Big 12 school up here after both Oklahoma and Texas have fallen. Chuba Hubbard looks really, really good with that Oklahoma State team, Texas A&M, getting a couple of good quality wins. But I think Penn State could be a team that you really, really have to watch. Um, the Fighting Irish, the Crimson Tide, and the Clemson Tigers are all going to be sitting here looking at who that four seed is. I don't see it being Georgia. I don't think that you're going to see two ACC teams pull out into the college football playoff, but I think that you could see Ohio State, Oklahoma State, or maybe even Penn State or Cincinnati make a push. I would agree with that. I think we are get, we're going to have a Big Ten team in, and it's going to be the Big Ten champion. Unless, say, a one team beats Ohio State or one team beats like Wisconsin and they go in and get a, it's kind of like the old uh, when Michigan State made the college football playoffs. They kind of did it on accident. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of good teams from the Big Ten. But like you said, the SEC is going to be hard. I still don't think they get two teams in. I don't think they can justify two SEC teams as it stands right now. That may change. But Cincinnati has a big game in conference against Southern Methodist. That could This could be a make or break for the Bearcats. Especially a, a Bearcats team that's looking to maintain some positioning in the college football playoffs. This is a team that a lot of people said could push in there. They've already got one ranked win against Army. If you were to go and get a win against SMU this weekend, 
I think that you could potentially see the Bearcats get some love. Now, being in the uh, American Athletic Conference, the AAC, you don't really see a lot of teams come out of there. Memphis usually puts up a pretty solid fight. USF, UCF a couple years back looked really good. But if Cincinnati really wants to contend for a college football playoff berth, this is a game that they have to win. This is a game that you've got to circle as must-win territory. And, I mean, I, I, I kind of just got to leave it there. You're 3-0. and You're 1-0 in conference. The teams that you have to get through are SMU and Navy. SMU is your biggest test. You beat SMU, you get some respect on your name. We'll go to number one Clemson now. They'll be hosting Syracuse. Are the Orange a tramp game for Clemson? They usually are. Um, the Syracuse Orange always, 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 always play well against Clemson. Now, I, I put an asterisk next to always because sometimes those games do end up in the blowouts. But again, it's a, it's a rivalry-esque game. Syracuse is a good rival of Clemson, and they enjoy coming in and putting some pressure on them. That being said, I don't, I don't know if I can put anybody beating Clemson right now. I've put two teams in their way saying that if they win, they could do really well. Um, I thought Miami, the Hurricanes, would be able to put up more of a fight against Clemson, and then Clemson ended up derailing it. Um, I don't see a lot of teams contending with Clemson. I think you could potentially see North Carolina have a shot. I think you could see Ohio State or Alabama. I think Notre Dame is a little scary, but... Watch out for this Syracuse Orange team. They've caused some trouble for Clemson in years past. Cornhuskers coming to Columbus to face the number five Buckeyes. This is going to be a fun one to watch for the Buckeyes. Oh, ne yeah. Nebraska, I'm sorry. I I'm sorry. You have been voted off the island. This is Survivor. You're done. That being said, I think it's Ohio State team with a convincing win is looking good and pretty in the college football playoff rankings when they come out. I agree, and I mean, th this is an Ohio State team that was ranked, I want to say, one or two going into the year. They, they were put up really, really high, and then the Big Ten getting shut down and then revamped and whatever you want to call it. And unfortunately, Nebraska is going to just get the luck of the does not get the luck of the draw here. Unfortunately, you're going to have to play an Ohio State team that is ready to play. You've got some of the best offensive players in the uh, in college football. You've got some of the best defensive players in college football. You've got a potential top five pick in Justin Fields going against you. Curso Lave is really really good. This is a team that was built correctly. And year after year, you see studs from Ohio State going to the NFL. The Bosa brothers, Chase Young, J.K. Dobbins, all of these guys, and they all succeed. And then the next year, you say, oh, this Ohio State team's going to falter without these guys, and they don't. Urban Meyer did well. Ryan Day did well. Ohio State's about to put up a 30-point deficit on Nebraska. I don't, I, I don't give Nebraska a lot. In this game, I think that Nebraska comes out and they'll, they'll be stymied a little bit. I think Nebraska will be competitive this year, but but you're about to run you're about to run into the in prime Tom Brady Patriots. You're about to run into that caliber team. Yeah, I agree with that, and that's going to bring us to our last and favorite segment: overreaction or underreaction, and. 
Zach, I want you to go first on asking me questions. All right. Again, the premise of overreaction or underreaction. If this is your first time listening to the Smith and Seidel show, well, I do encourage you to go back and listen to a couple of other of our hot takes. But overreaction or underreaction, if you agree with the statement, it's an underreaction. You kind of agree with it. You think what we just said is true. Or am I, are we overreacting with the statements that we're making? And, and the first one pertains to the Cleveland Browns. So Jacob Seidel, my very good friend, after an embarrassing loss to the Steelers, should the Browns continue to roll with Case Keenum as their starting quarterback for the rest of the season? Overreaction. Baker Mayfield has looked solid at points this year. This past game, I've said it before, I think his ribs were bothering him more than he let on, and that's not the Baker we've come accustomed to seeing in 2020. You can't keep having a revolving door at quarterback and saying this one's going to fix it. Stick with Baker. He's the guy. He has been the most consistent quarterback the Browns have seen since Brady Quinn started for more than one season. Don't give up on him now because he's injured. Zach, underreaction or overreaction, the Steelers are the team to beat in the AFC. I kind of got to put an underreaction on this one. Um, Again, I'm going to get a little bit of a backlash on this because I'm a Steelers fan, and, oh, you're just happy because the Steelers are 5-0. and oh. No, I, I'm, I'm going to back this up a little bit. This is a team that has like four players within the top 50 in the NFL as in terms of sacks. As in terms of sacks. Bud Dupree and TJ Watt are the two best edge rushers in the NFL. This defensive front stops the run and makes you a one-dimensional team. And when you become a one-dimensional team, you become predictable. And at the same time, when they rush three guys, they can still get after the quarterback. On the offensive side of the ball, this is an offensive line that just stopped Miles Garrett, one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. One of the best. And you held him to one sack. This is a team that is well coached with Mike Tomlin. This is a team that can control the clock and throw the ball when they need to with Ben Roethlisberger. James Conner has had a rushing, a hundred yard rushing in almost every game he's played. And as I mentioned earlier, the Steelers have had a 100 yard rusher in every single game this season, except in Philadelphia. The receivers, most notably Chase Claypool, have been very, very good. Juju, unlike Antonio Brown, isn't complaining about, you know, oh, I'm not getting my targets, I'm not getting my receptions. He's happy with winning. Eric Ebron, happy with winning. This is a team that was built correctly. This is a team that looks good. The reason I say they're the team to beat, let, let, let me ask you this, Jacob. If I had to ask you this right now, other than the Steelers, who are the three teams that are the scariest in the AFC, other than the Steelers? Uh, well, I'd have to go with the... The uh, Chiefs. Okay. The Ravens. And the... Uh, ooh, that's a good one. I don't know who... Uh, probably the Titans. Well, the, the, the Titans one will be answered. Uh, the Titans need to be able to throw the ball. As Jacob and I mentioned earlier, I think the Baltimore Ravens are slowly getting figured out with Lamar Jackson. And I think Lamar Jackson is not as dynamic. I think he's injured with something. I don't think they'll tell us what. And in the past couple of weeks, teams like the Raiders and now the Bills have shown us ways that you can stop 
the Chiefs. You play that soft zone, make them throw in front of you to eliminate those big plays. You give up as much rushing yards as you want, but you eliminate the big plays and then you just keep the, the clock going. Until I see a team really push the envelope a little bit, and again, I might eat my words with the Titans, although I don't think I will see it. And, and I think the, Steel- the Steelers are the cream of the crop in the AFC right now. I, re- I really do. This is a hot team, a young team, a hungry team, and I think the Steelers are the scariest team in the AFC. Overreaction or underreaction? If Clayton Kershaw flounders, flops, does really bad in the World Series again, he should be done with the L.A. Dodgers. Underreaction. He's been there a long time. He's put up some fantastic numbers, but I think he needs to get out of Dodge. And I'm not saying it's his fault. The Dodgers have lost the World Series before with him on the mound, but I am saying it's time for him to find a new home to make a run. I'd say the Texas Rangers are my number one choice where he would end up. After Alabama beat Georgia, they have locked up a spot in the college football playoffs. Overreaction or underreaction? I'm going to say underreaction on this one. And the reason being is Alabama has shown up this year so far. They're the number two team in the uh, NCAA for for a reason. Uh, They're very well coached. They're very well seasoned. And they're always playoff caliber ready. Uh, especially after a big win over Georgia. Um, I, I don't see a reason why they lose it. I think that their resume speaks for themselves. Um, that being said, I think the only reason that they would lose it is if they lose to maybe like a, a Georgia or a Florida in the uh, SEC championship game. I think that's the only way that you see them lose it. But I, I think Alabama has all but locked up a spot in the college football playoff. But with college football, as we know, things can change any time. Overreaction or underreaction, the Dallas Cowboys should trade Andy Dalton to build some draft capital. Underreaction. Underreaction. One, you're not going to win anything for very long with Andy Dalton as your quarterback. Two, and I hate to say it, the Cowboys need a contingency plan if Dak Prescott cannot return. They need to start making moves. Who's going to be the next starting quarterback down in Jerry's world? Underreaction or overreaction? There will be a mass exodus of players from the Houston Astros. I'm going to say this one's an overreaction. Um, I don't. I don't see a mass exodus coming. Uh, Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa. Um, they they've got a good little core there, and especially with uh, Ho- or Justin Verlander. That's the name I was looking for. If Justin Verlander can come back and be competitive. They still have Zach Granke. They still have a really solid pitching rotation. I think that they can still be pretty pretty decent in Houston. Although I don't think that they should be contending for World Series, but they are. I'm saying this is an overreaction. Just because you lose to the Rays, you lost to the better team. I don't see that happening. Overreaction or underreaction? Ryan Fitzpatrick deserves to be the starter in Miami. And I'm going to add on to this just for a second here. Ryan Fitzpatrick deserves to be the starter in Miami or somewhere else in the NFL this season. Oh, boy. I had my answer, and then you just changed that on me. Um, the original one, if he was, deserves to be the starter in Miami. Overreaction. We'll start off there. 
That's not to say that Tua should start, but Fitzpatrick hasn't shown anything this season. I'm just okay. I'm saying this because I don't think Tua is going to be ready to start now that they have him. Does he deserve to be the starter on an NFL team? Underreaction. I think there is a team that he would at least be a suitable bridge quarterback for. Is it Miami? No. Okay, that's fair. Overreaction or underreaction? Derrick Henry will win MVP in 2020. Oh, this one's really hard. This one's really hard. Um, I'm I'm gonna reword it slightly, but I'm gonna say it's an overreaction. I don't know if he will win the MVP, but I will say he deserves to be in the conversation for it. Um, they're still in a in a, a world where Russell Wilson, in my opinion, is still the MVP. I think that. Uh, as we mentioned couple, like a week or so ago that Aaron Rodgers should be in that conversation. And Josh Allen has looked good enough to be in the conversation, but he needs to bounce back and he needs to bounce back now. I think that Derrick Henry has entered the conversation, but he's going to need to be able to show this consistently. He's going to need to be putting up like 3000 rushing yards and like 30 touchdowns. Um, we, we need to see a little bit more from him. But I think that Derrick Henry has at least entered the conversation of MVP. So I'm not going to say he will win it right now because my favorite to win it is still Russell Wilson. So I'm going to say it's an overreaction for that purpose. But I think that you could see Derrick Henry be in the conversation. And finally, overreaction or underreaction. We've already kind of said who our top four teams in the college football world are. Um, Do you think... Penn State will slip into the college football playoff as the number four seed to see two Big Ten teams in the college football playoff. Is that an overreaction or an underreaction? I think that's an underreaction. I think Penn State's in the perfect position to take that in, whether it's Ohio State or the winner of the West in there with them. These are the two best teams in the Big Ten, Ohio State and Penn State. I think they should both make it, and I would not be surprised to see maybe a matchup of one versus four Ohio State-Penn State. I'd agree with that. Um, you know, it's, it's going to really be a tough team. You know, um, they Coach Franklin down in Penn State really knows how to get this team ready for a game, and playing at Penn State so, so difficult. So, so difficult. Um, I, I, I kind of think it's an overreaction though. I think there are other teams that are more suitable for it. We mentioned Cincinnati, we mentioned Oklahoma state, you know, I, I think that we could see one of these other teams slip in, but I think Penn state could try to slip into this conversation. And that's going to just about do it for us on this episode of the Smith and Seidel show. Zach, any final thoughts for you, uh, from you? The only final thought is that we got a great little show here. I think that the Steelers are going to be really good, and I'm saying it right here, right now. Steelers will be in the Super Bowl this season. I will give my NFC one next week. Pay attention (laughs) to Twitter. Stay tuned. And, you know, go team. Go Falcons. Go Buckeyes. Go Steelers. We'll see you soon. And once again, thanks to my co-host, Zach Smith. 
Our intro and outro music is by Bobby Quinn Creative Music Production. He is highly recommended by the Smith and Seidel Show. You can find him on Fiverr.com by searching Bobby Quinn C. We'd also like to thank Dylan Hunter, a student at Bowling Green State University that created the Smith and Seidel logo. We're going to try to have a guest next week, so make sure you tune in. But until then, for Zach Smith, I am Jacob Seidel signing off and reminding you to stay safe. Stay healthy, and I Ziggy Zumba.